Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 34, Groundhog Fay. Listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And today we are talking about episode eight of season four of Lost Girl called Groundhog Fay. And are, are y'all pleased to see the return of the Fay puns in the titles, or are you like me and we're happy to have a break from them for a while? I particularly always love those. Uh, I know. Stephanie has her opinions on those. Sometimes they're overdone, but I like them. I'm okay either way. I okay. I like them, but I don't have to have them, you know. So this week for our drink special, because this, well, I'll get into the whole Yule thing later, but because this was supposed to be Yule, even though it was in the summer, <laughs> I am sharing a festive holiday drink that we drink at Yule in my house. And it actually got a mention in the episode because the the little elf guy said was criticizing Kendi for lack Kenzie for lack of wassailing at her party. And so I have a recipe for wassail, which is basically it's a spiced apple cider. You can make it alcoholic or non-alcoholic. We tend to in my house make it non-alcoholic and then add your own liquor afterward because my partner likes Guinness. I'm not a huge fan of stout, so I put whiskey in mine. So that's what I'm drinking. Some wassail with whiskey. So cheers to anybody who's drinking out there. I do not have a beverage right now, but I did have spiked eggnog before we started recording, so. Which is also appropriate for this time of year, so good call. Thank you. I try. So this week's episode, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So we need to start out with sort of like, I guess that was my initial reaction, but what were sort of y'all's sort of first impressions, little brief reviews of the episode this week? You can go first, Chris. I I believe my actual reaction as watching it was kind of like, what the hell is going on? But like, it's it's madcap zany fun, you know. I I I enjoyed it, as I as I do. Can I help it that I just enjoy them and no, the, no. the wackiness? Can it's I fine. can I help that? I love the lost girl take on that old TV film trope of you know time repeating over and over again, and just all the humor again, and how it did actually tie into the mystery of the wanderer. Again, I don't know how much we know, more we know, but, and all the triangle, the two halves of the triangle bonding with Lauren and Dyson, and the whole drunken thing, and yet in the same time, they tell very obvious truths, you know. You know, it's like, you drink and the truth comes out, that kind of stuff. So, I enjoyed the hell out of this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun and very funny. So we got a little bit of movement on the larger Wanderer story arc this episode with the appearance of the mysterious box, Bo's box, <laughs> at the Dark Archives with the, the jar of mysterious, you know, shadowy stuff. And then we also got a little story, a little more backstory on how Tamsin knows the Wanderer. But ultimately, I think this episode was just sort of a fun, comedic romp. And then we also have in this episode a continuation of this theme about memory that we've been seeing this season. People's memories, losing memories, it it keeps coming up. And we have Tamsin coming back this episode, having left to go find her memories. And it seems like, I think, it's implied that she's regained at least most of them, if not all of them. Is that your sense? Tamsin seemed to have all of her memories back in this episode, or she went off and she found her, you know, other Valkyrie and 
something happened to her because she doesn't seem as immature in this episode, not as childlike. It, I mean, it's hard to tell, but it does seem like at least some some crucial stuff has come back. Right. It, it seems at least that she might be more helpful to Bo in regards to filling in some information about the Wanderer, which is really what they were desperate to find Tamsin for at the beginning of the season. So it seems like Tamsin is is back and better able to help Bo in that regard, at least. Mm-hmm. So I guess a good place to start would be at the beginning, where we finally get the promo that was was tossed out there <laughs> mid, uh, I don't know, mid-October or so, I guess. Maybe it was on Halloween. It was on Halloween. I would remember oh. it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. On Halloween, with uh, Bo washing her car senselessly with the hood down. Who cares? Why? I do th- I do like it set better. I-, I do like the song better that was used in the promo. That's just my two cents. I guess I have to rain on people's parade and say that I don't really like the car wash scene all that much. <laughs> Are you ready for the, the, the rain of Twitter hatred? <laughs> I know. Here's where all of the viewers tuned out. I shouldn't say that. I like most of it. But I don't like there's a couple shots included where it's like where she's squeezing the water over her breasts, which is obviously, you know, mimicking a a I'm sorry, but mimicking a cum shot from a porn film and where she's like blowing the bubbles off of her hand. I don't like those particular shots because then it becomes less about Bo being her sexy self, going about her life and trying to be some sort of fantasy that people want her to be that is kind of where i draw the line so i don't really like those two shots i liked it a little better in context because it was just such a strange fantasy fueled episode that maybe i'll buy beginning i wasn't even quite sure if that was reality or not so maybe i'll buy that it was a little off for some reason but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the the car wash promo, so sorry, guys. Please don't hate me. You don't have to agree with me. You're. Fu- I'm not saying you're a bad person if you like the car wash promo. I just, I just had a couple of of, of feministy issues with them, and I'm probably over here in the corner by myself, and that's okay. And I mean, I get that, but at the same time, to me, it's one of those things they're doing it so knowingly that it's kind of winky, such yeah. that basically I just laugh at it because. I know that there's sort of, there's like a a hint of mockery, I guess, in there a little bit. You know what I mean? Well, that's all you can do. And I think that's, that's really the angle they're taking with the triangle, how you have Dyson and Lauren competing from the beginning and shoving each other out of the way to be in the back with Bo in her wet clothes. And then Dyson shoves his chair on her foot and Lauren's just smiling away because she got the back seat. She got dibs. And it's just, it's so, you just have to laugh at it. And um, that's the approach I took. I guess my my thing is, because I, I did see somebody wrote, write something interesting when the car wash program came out, basically saying that this was kind of a significant thing that Lost Girl was really acknowledging women desiring women. And, and lust yeah. is not a bad thing. It's often sort of written as a very kind of base, degrading emotion, like it's it's a horrible thing. And lust is not a bad thing. And it was kind of significant that Lost Girl was kind of queering this particular situation. And I can get behind that, but I guess I'm also to the to the point where I don't know if it's any better for women to be objectifying women either. Uh, just because it's like equal opportunity objectification, I don't know if that should be our a goal in general. 
that was just my take on it. But again, I know I'm over here in the corner by myself, crying myself to sleep with my with my feels, <laughs> and that's okay. No, I mean, I again, I I see where you're coming from, and do agree to, with you to an extent. But for me, there's just a certain amount of you know rolling with it. I guess. Mm-hmm. I loved the little moment where 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 Dyson and Lauren were were fighting to get in the car. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. So obviously the main storyline this week was this take on on Groundhog Day with the with the repeating time loop. And actually, first I'm going to get my my complainies in about Yule because Yule should take place in December. It's like been in December for forever and ever and ever and ever, probably longer than Christmas has been in December. And so I tried to like wrap my head around and like give the show an excuse and be like, well, maybe they're making commentary about how some people have said that Christmas has been moved to coincide with, with Yule when they were trying to, you know, Christianize all the pagans back in the day. And so they're making a statement about that. But my friend was just like, no, I think they just really wanted to do a Christmas episode and they had to shoot it in July. So they said, hell with it. We're going to we're going to put Yule in July. Oh, yeah. I, I see. I did. I totally missed the uh, practical aspect of that because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I kind of like this fate tradition. Put a spin on it. And I'm, instead of, oh, yeah, you're shooting it in August on the hottest day of the year. This is why we have to write this little line in of, you know, Santa comes down your chimney on the hottest day of the year. <laughs> so... Ah, good point. No, no, Krampus. Krampus. Krampus comes down there. Yeah. Krampus. Yeah, excuse me. But, um, so, Yule, not a summertime holiday. <laughs> <laughs> However, they did keep the themes of Yule intact. I will give them that. I know less about Yule historically, but I actually celebrate Yule in, in sort of modern Wiccan neo-pagan traditions, Yule is sort of what is the name given to celebrating the winter solstice, which occurs in December. And on the winter solstice, it is the shortest day, like daylight time, and the longest nighttime. And so symbolically, on Yule, we often face our fears because we're going into the longest night. So we saw Bo doing that. And I also think, interestingly, given that this is whole, this whole season, I think, has been about Bo going toward the dark something we celebrate with Yule is saying that things are going to get lighter from now on. The days are going to be lengthening. The light is coming back. So perhaps thematically, this episode is suggesting that Bo is either at or getting to her darkest and she's going to be coming back from that. And so I thought that was sort of an interesting theme that maybe the writers were hinting at by placing this particular episode situated at Yule time even though it's in the freaking summer. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, but I like it. And we are just past the midway point on the season, too. So kind of fits in a little bit that way. They pulled in this theme of sort of facing your greatest fears. And it sort of led to this sort of revelation of truth that people didn't really want to speak, I think. Uh, but with with Bo and Tamsin at the candy factory, and then sort of to a lighter, more comedic extent with Lauren and Dyson in Bo's bedroom. And I, I really enjoyed seeing these characters sort of confront some of those things that maybe they've been afraid to say. I think it's good for the audience to have experienced that also, don't don't you? Yeah, definitely. I really like this episode theme about, you know, overall the humor and the one-liners. There's 
you know, Bo facing her fears and how she talks about them all at the end. Or, you know, a combination of Tamsin also doing the same and she keeps getting interrupted. What does she want to tell Bo and her revelation? So I really, really like that uh, aspect of the episode. I kind of wish a little bit more had been revealed with the other characters, but they weren't all stuck in the time loop, so... But it was kind of funny to see the contrast between the characters stuck in the time loop and those not. So at least they used it, again, to play a humorous bent on the triangle, which I prefer than the serious mopey bent on the triangle. Okay. Why is it that Tamsin had apparently gone through, I don't know, I think she says at least 15 times, right? Before Bo snaps out of it. So why is it that it because Bo was apparently destined to be in the time loop also, right? Wasn't that what they established in the episode? Was that certain people were were chosen? Yes. So, because Hale was clued in, it seemed like, earlier than Bo was too. Because in the first time we see Bo through the time loop, we see Hale say, oh, don't worry, I'll get it better next time. So he right. knew about the time loop before the audience did, meaning before Bo did. Because they made it sound like... Tamsin's kiss, like, snapped her into no, I think, cluefulness. I don't think that that is actually true. Because we see Hale was conscious of the loop, Tamsin was conscious of the loop. That was just the first time that Bo had gone through the loop. So since she had eaten the candy, she could remember what was happening in the loop because she was also one of the Yule's fools. So it wasn't that Tamsin kissing her did something special. It's just that Tamsin finally found somebody who was also destined to be stuck in the loop. I think every Valcubus fan would disagree with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Valcubus fans. That, no, no. I didn't but, mean it like does that. Does that make any sense? But yeah, that's interesting about the candy because, and being one of the Yule's fools or whatnot, because, which is pretty disgusting when you find out what the candy is after Bo eats it. But, um, and then. I think Bo says to Hale what later in the episode when once she finds out that he's in the loop and the reason why, and I think she says, why would you put yourself through this? It seems like Hale volunteered for the loop or somehow, you know, he was aware of it all the time. So it's like, how did he include himself or get into it from the beginning while being aware of this and having a purpose for it instead of just seemingly being thrown into it and having no idea why or how to get out of it like Tamsin and Bo were? That seemed but to they me. did say it was the candy, though, right? Yeah, I thought it was established it was e eating candy or something from the gas station was what. Okay. And and they established early on that Hale and Dyson knew the the Yule traditions. They knew all the stuff that would... Hmm. And Tamsin bought gum, so... This is one of those things that I think maybe it's best we don't think too much about. <laughs> yeah, I know. But still, it's it's one of those questions that comes up when you look at the up, so you're like, uh, yeah. Anyway. Here's my question. If the dark can't party with the light when they're celebrating Yule, how come Tamsin was able to go in and out of the house and Bo? After midnight. Oh, after midnight. Okay, thank you for clarifying My question that. is, why are they at Bo's house then? That seems like a bad place or inconvenient yeah, really, they probably you know? should have been partying at the doll, but... They just decided what set to use. I know. Yeah. I know it's all about location. Yeah, anyway, it's about yeah. sets and all that stuff, so... Didn't... Krampus says something about, um, I've never made blue candy before. Mm. What do we think that means? <laughs> what are the implications here is what I'm asking. That he hasn't countered anybody else blue? How about the show yes. loves to say over and over again that Bo is very unique and special, Chris? Here's a here's a theory. <laughs> Cuz there's the blue with the eyes, which is a succubus thing. And when she sucks the chi in, it's blue. 
It's blue. Right, right. But I mean, because it's a succubus thing, and from what we know of other succubi, the one other one that we've met, they're not really big on regrets, right? Krampus's whole deal is that he feeds off of regret, so Bo, with her conscience, is full of regret, and that's why he's never made blue candy before. Bam! I like it. I like it. So speaking of the gumdrop factory, let's talk a little bit about Tamsin and some of her sort of fears and insecurities that she revealed in this episode. I think it's interesting how we keep seeing young Tamsin being deeply insecure. She's sort of openly, <laughs> openly blatantly insecure. No, I think I think that's really that's really fair because we didn't really see Tamsin's vulnerability last season unless she was very drunk or you know we see it in those who wonder wander at the end of the fight scene between her and and Bo where she kind of breaks down so definitely needing to have sort of a tougher no nonsense persona in her last lifetime and being able to be more vulnerable and more open and honest in this one so i i like i said i'm enjoying the sort of sweeter more vulnerable Tamsin. She still gets some great lines. I thought this episode more like Tamsin-y quick quips. I loved her comment about Trick's sweater, but but definitely more vulnerable this year for sure. Oh, yeah. But I mean, because there's an, the earlier scene where in one of the past episodes, something about, uh, is it because I'm so ugly or something like that? Wasn't that one of the statements? Oh, that was where, before her wings came out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think there was at least one other one around that time. And then in this episode... She says to Bo something about how it must be her fault because everything that happens here or something like that, right? Isn't that everything that happens is my fault? Yeah, I didn't quite get that entire line, but essentially that's what she was saying. Is, I didn't either. Is, is everything is that ha everything bad that happens seems to be my fault. Well, and that's what Hale was saying to Bo was that Krampus found someone to tide him over that Tamsin had enough regret. And I think next to Bo, Tamsin is the character that has the most regrets, that has the most angst in a way. Well, Lauren has her share too, but in terms of Fatum and what they've done in past lives and things like that, that they're very tortured characters for how, you know, she's betrayed Bo, but she wants to be friends with her and she respects her and she doesn't think she belongs with the group. So, yeah, I wish I'd caught that whole line, but... You know, again, loves. I would have loved to have seen Tamsin express all her fears too, but she kind of did in a way. So, and I, I did love that moment where Bo said, you know, something to the effect of, "You're still my friend. You know, you're a good person." And I know all the Vancouver fans are going, "Yay!" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's true." You know, I I love how Bo sees Tamsin that way. But don't you get the impression? And I'm sorry, Valkyvis people. I'm sorry, but it seems like feelings are much, much stronger and much more romantic in intention on Tamsin's part than on oh, definitely. Yeah. That Yeah, that was definitely the sense we got in this episode in particular, which was surprising to me because in season three, I know Valkybus shippers disagree with me and that's okay. But in season three, it seemed to me more that Tamsin wasn't, and maybe this is still the case, Tamsin isn't like in love with Bo, but she really admires Bo and wants to be Bo in a lot of ways. That was more sort of the emotion I saw between the two of right. them. Right. Oh, I agree. Rather than like a romantic type of love. And maybe that is still the case. I think we saw that earlier in this season. But definitely in this episode, there was that hint that Tamsin felt some romantic-y feelings toward Bo. 
Of course, I mean, there was the episode where she did get the wings and Bo went to comfort her and she pulsed her. And Tamsin says something like, oh, this is what love feels like or whatever it was that she says exactly. I mean, because Tamsin's basically sort of re-experiencing adolescence, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially. So perhaps this is basically just like a crush. Could we interpret it that way? I mean, that it's sort of a... I I think it could go either way. I mean, Tamsin wants what Bo has. She wants that family to be included. But I'm sure she wants that kind of love, too, that she gets from Lauren and Dyson. And to know what it's like to be infatuated with somebody. That's kind of what I'm getting at, though, Annie, is that you you know how when when you're young and basically there's this person that you admire and you think they're great... And then you get all these feelings, <laughs> you know, that just kind of get projected onto this person. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe that's, maybe that's what's going on. You know what I mean? That this admiration and respect and whatever it is has sort of become this huge deal in, in Tamsin and Tamsin sort of turning it into something that it may or may not be. Does this make sense? I think there's a strong possibility that that is. That is the case. But she might also genuinely love Bo. But this episode, I think, seems to indicate that Bo does not love Tamsin the same way, at least not right now. And Tamsin, I kind of felt a little bad for right. her, kind of even admitted to that. Because the second time they kissed, after that didn't work, Tamsin was like, well, maybe you need to try it with somebody you have a stronger connection with, somebody like Lauren or Dyson. And I kind of felt mm-hmm. bad for her in that moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I think definitely Tamsin was more close to season three Tamsin in this episode yeah. than she has been. She wasn't quite as mean and nasty and snarky, which kind of made me happy. Uh, I, I don't particularly want to see her get quite that acerbic yeah. as she was last season. I, I know there are, there are Tamsin fans out there who miss that and, and that's fine. But <laughs> me personally, I, I like, I like this little like sweeter Tamsin. Yeah, and she obviously really has a sweet spot for Bo, haha, because she puts herself in between Krampus and Bo when she gets taken first, and I think Bo at the same time still really respects her, you know, when she, you know when they clink beer bottles and she says, you know, she wishes her happy Yule Valcubus, and then it's right at that moment that Tamsin really wants to tell Bo something, and I think it's about her revelation about the past, how mm-hmm. she was approached by the wanderer in the past and paid a very large sum that she couldn't resist and she couldn't resist this wanderer because he was like looking pure evil in the face and i really really loved that flashback scene just seeing her in the armor and all that i mean that just must have made the valcubus fans just like you know head explode i just i love those that little bit so i hope we see more bits like that i loved i would love to see it more with other characters we've seen it with dyson i'd like to see it more with tamsin you know we've seen it with trick i'd like to see it with hale you know stuff like that i actually was not a huge fan of the flashback it felt a little plugged in there and a little incongruent for the la- for the rest of the episode so i i wasn't a huge fan of the flashback itself i i you know, appreciated hearing Tamsin tell Bo what had sort of brought her to that place. But as far as kind of the look of the the flashback, it just seemed a little awkward to me. What did you think, Chris? The the thing about the flashback was, is it just me or was there an awful lot of makeup in the past yeah. life? <laughs> I know. She had like black nail polish and and, and all <laughs> types of eyeshadow. Yeah, there's a lot of 
Yep, yep, yep. Eyeshadow and eyeliner. and I, I, I have this very clear memory of I'm watching Xena with, you know, this is when it first aired. And my sister's coming up behind me and she goes, Annie, Xena lives in the forest, right, Amalia? She goes, then why does she have perfect lipstick and eye makeup? And I'm like, shut up. I'm trying to watch my show. You're taking me out of the bubble of suspension <laughs> of disbelief. So anyway, I would say the same thing here. But it was great eye makeup in that scene. That just shocked the hell out of me, the revelation that Bo has, you know, been hunted by this wanderer for multiple lifetimes. And that Tamsin said, apparently, you know, that she says, you weren't supposed to be real. Maybe it was a theoretical kind of fae, the person that she was searching for. But then she found Bo and went, oh, holy crap, all of this prophecy. Or, you know, Bo's so many times referred to as the one, you know, with a sense of destiny or the one who will change everything. And Tamsin probably had a moment when she found Bo going, oh, this fae is real. Now I'm going to have to hold up my end and deliver her to the Wanderer because I'm terrified of him. You know, that what Trick said, he's terrified of him. So we're assuming he says he's terrified, but we don't know of what. Well, Tamsin says that the reason she took the job to begin with is she didn't think she'd ever have to do it because it sounded so there's there was no person who could ever meet all of these guidelines. So that's why she says she sort of essentially Preposterous is the word you're looking for. Yeah, she she made a deal. With, she was willing to make a deal with this clearly very evil man. She made a deal with the devil because she didn't think like she'd have to follow through on it. I do know that I saw it, that uh, somebody had mentioned that the something that bugged them about the episode was that they didn't like how quickly Bo forgave Tamsin for after she makes this confession that we've been talking about. And she felt like if, if Lauren had made a similar confession, she would have been really angry with her and hold it against her for a really long time. So what what is y'all's take on Bo being so willing to forgive Tamsin so quickly? I don't know. Maybe it's Tamsin or Bo realizing she needs as many allies as she can in this fight. I personally didn't think anything of it. Well, at least a couple people on Twitter mentioned, and it's something that Emily Andrus said in the TV Guide Canada interview too, was that, I mean, basically, Tamsin was raised by a loving family this time, Bo and Kenzie, basically. So I'm kind of thinking that could also be at play here in this dynamic. You know what I mean? That Bo, Bo has like more of a tender connection to Tamsin. Yes. I mean, there's sort of a protectiveness there in that sense. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think that is the same thing as why Tamsin is sweeter right now than she had been in season three. It's, they're, they're in sort of a, a family unit, which is something they've been emphasizing the past few episodes, especially that this our, our core cast is a family, essentially. It's a so. weird fae slash human dysfunctional, functional, triangle, octagon, square family, but they still all need each other. They still all love each other in their different ways. Well, and, and I also feel like, obviously, the circumstances were probably a factor. She was trying to get Tamsin out of that place, and it seemed like Tamsin couldn't move because she was stuck in place because of her regret. And so I think some of that was Bo trying to extend that forgiveness to her so that she could maybe move on. Because I think even if Bo had been mad at her, I don't think she wanted her to die or to be harmed. No. So right. I think some of that was there. there. You're right. There is an added level of urgency there. And and I think there is probably also a certain amount of um, 
you know, Bo relating to that in Tamsin. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it seemed in that moment she she had quite a few regrets herself, you know. And, you know, it, it is it that making this comparison, Bo would have held Lauren to a different standard. I mean, it's possible. It's hard to know because it wasn't Lauren. It was Tamsin. You know, judging it on sort of past things that have happened, that's maybe a fair assumption to make. But, you know, Bo is, is a different person now. We do, even though it's maybe not fair, I think we do hold different people to different standards. I think Bo has a greater intimacy with Lauren than she does with Tamsin, at least at this point. So her expectations for Lauren being honest with her, I think, would be higher than they would be for Tamsin. I, I, again, I think it's hard to say if, you know, in this particular instance, she would have been angry at Lauren longer is maybe a little difficult to say. But I can see where, where somebody would be coming from by saying that. Mm-hmm. The first season being what it was. Exactly. I mean, I haven't thought of it that way, but I, I, w- I do wish that, like, Bo, Dyson, and Lauren, that they would hopefully be able to learn how to let go of past grudges and forgive each other for all the lies and all the secrets they've kept, and hopefully be able to start over with a little bit of a clean slate. And I saw a little bit of that happening with the conversation between... Dyson and Lauren, and Dyson saying, well, you're the one who keeps lying to her, and Lauren's like, well, you know, you're the one who keeps doing this, and I think at the heart of the whole conversation of whether or not they should show the box to her is just, they argue about the pros and cons, and I think it really shows why they both have problems with her in a relationship, since neither one of them can be straight with her up front. You know, they kind of air all their laundry, and now it's like, well, hopefully they'll have Bo in the conversation and uh, one of these days, and that they can all respect each other and then hopefully be more on the same page. You know, we were referencing in the last uh, few uh, podcasts that Bo isn't on the same level as Lauren, um, and they're on two different just levels of where they want to be in terms of a relationship that Bo isn't ready to be in a relationship with Lauren or with anybody at this point, you know, cause she's so single-mindedly on the wanderer. I think I see what I see more in this episode is the gang kind of hopefully coming together a little bit more through this adversity that keeps coming. Turns out all it takes to clear the air is some choga sweat spiked dark belch. Dark belch seems to be key to all of our really revealing moments this season so far. Exactly. I think, I think it was really the choga sweat that, that really put it over (laughs) the edge there. They weren't just drunk. They were high and drunk. (laughs) Yeah. But I think they keep, they're overthinking themselves, both Bo and Dyson and going, well, this is why we should give it to her. This is what, what has worked in our relationship. This is what hasn't. This is what I've done wrong. And then it turns into this whole kind of, weird. I'm not good enough for Bo on both sides. And I'm like, it's okay, wolf pants. I still love you both. Not together, but this friendship thing is better than the animosity thing um, and me wanting to punch Dyson in the face for ignoring Lauren. I I really enjoyed the scenes between Lauren, Dyson, and Vex. I thought they were a lot of fun, but I gotta say, I don't really buy where Dyson and Lauren are at in their relationship right now. I feel like we needed one more episode of actually seeing them interact with each other because the only time we've seen them interact since Lauren has come back was that really brief little exchange they had in episode 407 where 
you know, they walk into the Unamun's lair and Lauren makes a cheeky remark about Dyson's jockstrap. That's the only exchange that they've had since she's been back. And then, and then the hot dogs afterward. And so I personally, I needed to see another episode of them being so buddy-buddy with each other because they were all, like, conspiratorial against Bo at the beginning. I'm like, where did this friendship between the two of them come from? This was not where they had left off. (sighs) Alcohol and dark belch smooths overall, I suppose, but... But they were chummy before the booze. Uh, Well, that seems like they were drinking the whole episode, so, you know. (sighs) But they were chummy at the gas station. Okay, but in that opening scene... They are being kind of chummier than we've really seen them since, what, the end of 310, right? Delinquents. Yeah. And they they make reference to the fact that they've been on a lot of these quests to go looking for the other Hellshu. So I think the implication there is that they've all been spending a lot of time together. And that may be, but I personally needed to see it a bit more for me to really buy them being this friendly with each other. I certainly wouldn't have minded seeing more of a bridge between them, but it's one of those things I I guess I don't find it unrealistic that this would be the case. I do find it a little not quite right. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel quite right, but I still am willing to go with it. And I get it. Sometimes you do have to make some off-screen sacrifices in a 13-episode season. I get it, but I don't know. Especially since in the hot dog scene, I don't think Dyson and Lauren even talk to each other. <laughs> it's just, I wish that we had seen a little bit more of them interacting before this whole buddy-buddy. It certainly would have hurt. Yeah, if they'd interacted at all in the hot dog scene, it would have been to say thank you, but again, yeah, it's my sticking point. I think maybe Dyson bought the hot dogs as a thank you. I guess. There we go. That's a thank lousy you, Chris. thank you. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but... I love how Vex is like, yeah, but admit it, you guys still like each other. And then, drunken surgery. I, I do wish they'd kind of shown the end of that scene on screen where, you know, Lauren's put finishing the finishing touches of putting Vex's hand back on, like, while doing a shot. but um, Or she put it on backwards or something and had to redo it again. <laughs> so. but, but I kind of liked Kenzie's statement that Lauren had to go do it. Right. Again. Yeah, she had yeah. to show it on correctly. Or yeah, right. That's yeah, what it yeah. was. Yeah. But I kind of wish that had been on screen. So, yeah. I, I disagree. I think it's better, it's funnier to just hear of it secondhand. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't need to see it. Yeah, I don't know how those three kept a straight face during those scenes, so I commend them. And I do think there's a bit of symbolism that they're all doing it in Bo's bed, where they've all had sex so many times, at least Bo and Dyson, with Bo while they're arguing over Bo. And the and box. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm like, that bed has been used for everything this season but sex, you know? Well. No, Dyson and Bo had sex in it. In oh, yeah. 406. Oh, yeah, that's right. For like a second. At the at the end <laughs> part. That's a, that, my brain, you know, makes. <laughs> you block just, those scenes out. I get it. I get it. Annie is in denial. I yeah. know. Denial, denial. But of course, you know, Vex was there dressed in Bo's clothes. Yeah, so, so it was practically like Bo was there. I got a little confused sometimes, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I liked the corset better on Paul Amos than uh, than on uh, Anna Silk, I must say. Oh, is that the same one that we didn't like from? Yes, from turn three. From, 
No, from Turn to Stone. That was that was the one that we didn't. Well, that I didn't like. That I said looked like the the top of a bad Xena outfit, which made you upset. So no, no, that part made me upset. But you and I both disliked the the corset. But yeah, it looks better on Paul. It did. It was working for him. It really was. But yeah, I thought those scenes were hilarious. Those three are are pretty good friends, and I think obviously. It it shows. I think honestly, the last little bit of the last scene of, with the three of them, where Vex is sort of like touching Lauren's boob with his hand, <laughs> yeah. and then she says, "Get that away from me! I have to I have to put that on you. I have to put I, it on you." <laughs> I think that might have been an ad lib on Zoe Palmer's part because that seemed more like Zoe than it did Lauren. Honestly, even yeah. drunk Lauren. Yeah, yeah it's just. Uh. But so I've decided funny. that this season, it's like, this episode's lacking something. A, add a dance scene. B, add a musical scene. Or C, add a drunk scene. And magically, it's fantastic. Because we had drunk Lauren, who was hilarious. We had drunk Dyson, who was hilarious. We had drunk Vex, who was hilarious. And we had drunk Trick, who was hilarious. hilarious. I love drunk Trick. <laughs> Me too. But uh, I'm I'm liking all of the all of the drunk this season. They are very entertaining. Have we had a drunk Kinsey yet? I don't think we have. No, not this season. That's surprising. We had we mostly get hungover Kinsey though. That's true. Speaking of bedroom scenes, though, I was okay. So Kinsey and Hale had that last conversation where, in my opinion, she seems to forgive him a little too quickly for doing the night over and over again. And then they make up, and then it seems like, you know, later she tells uh, Bo, did they do the deed? With Bo's incredible list of con- I love that box that Bo left. Thank for- you, by the way, show, for showing condoms again. Well, not just not just mentioning, but showing condoms. Thank you. That yes, makes me very happy. all flavors, colors, shapes, and sizes. And Fat-free. I love the- Fat-free. <laughs> Fireball or something like that. Yeah. And, um, no, it was fireproof, I think. Fireproof. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't it fireproof? <laughs> I don't remember, but I hope so. That's hilarious. Oh, man. So, um, I think, did they do it? Yeah. I think they did. Kenzie says they did Kenzie all the things. Kenzie says so. Yeah. Yeah, so they did all the things, and I'm like, when's Kenzie going to get her sex scene? You know, I mean, I think it, no, it didn't fit the tone of the episode to really have this full-on, you know, sex scene, but I was just like, man, everybody gets some on screen. What about Kenzie and Hale? What about Kale? Neither one of you read the TV Guide Canada interview, did you? No, no, no. I didn't have time. What did she say? What did Andrew say? Because I think the question was, how long are the kale shippers going to have to wait or something like that? Yeah. And Andrew says, as long as it takes, shippers, as long as it takes or something oh, like that. Thanks for the tease. Well, and it could be as much as, as shippers want, want a sex scene, an on-screen sex scene for Kenzie and Hale, it could be one or both of those actors do not want to do that type of scene. I don't know if either one of them have in previous pieces that they've done, but actors can say, no thanks, I'd rather not, and and writers will generally honor such requests. You know, it, it, from what we've seen, Casey Collins doesn't seem to be terribly comfortable having his clothes off on screen, even though he's obviously a very good-looking man. So it may just be something one or both of them isn't particularly comfortable with. So, there, you know, it's possible. I'm not saying there'll never be a sex scene for the, for those two, but there could be other reasons beyond just Emily Andrus being a troll. <laughs> yeah, Adjust your expectations, everyone. Adjust your expectations. <laughs> So getting getting back to to Hale and Kenzie, 
I thought they were so adorable. They kind of made me go all like three, three or four times in the in the episode. <laughs> They're a super cute couple. I wasn't, I wasn't like super rooting for them. I, I liked them, but I was sort of like, eh, I don't know. I like them as friends. Well, they like them as a couple, and I do really like them as a couple. I think they're super cute. I do think it's interesting that they brought up the, you know, Kenzie brought up the the problem. You're Faye. I'm human. This is never going to be perfect. Uh, which is also relates to Bo and Lauren. But then Hale says, oh, well, we have time. And they, they kind of seem to, they, they're such a cute little couple that's, that kind of describes how they've been portrayed. You know, I mean, Hale is still keeping the secret from her. Is there anything wrong with his ear or anything like that? But uh, they don't have, they don't have the loads of angst thrown at him yet that Docubus does. So I'll be interested to see if, uh, more of that comes their way, and how, how far their relationship will go. Will they run into all the same kind of issues that Bo and Lauren do? But they're two different people, so we'll see. Oh, I also really liked that Hale got to play kind of a significant part in this episode. I was actually just thinking the other week that, you know, we don't get to see Bo and Hale really team up and do stuff together. And actually, this is kind of the second time where, where Bo and Hale have kind of teamed up to take on Faye of the week. So I, I really would like for Hale to get a stronger storyline. He was kind of missing in season three for various reasons. He's been more present kind of in this season, but still has yet to get a really strong storyline, which makes me sad because he's been around since the beginning. And I really would like to see him get a good storyline that flows throughout the season, not just like an episode here or there. I, I like that he's being more present in a storyline, but you know, I want to see where the Kenzie Hale storyline goes beyond just being cute. So, uh, we'll see. And I did love that Hale and Bo were working together again. That was cool. I also wanted to talk a little bit about Bo and Trick, because I think with last episode and then continuing in this episode, we're seeing a real shift in their relationship, because I personally have always been a little... A little confused as to why Bo hasn't been more confrontational toward Trick about the secrets that he's kept and why he's decided to keep those secrets. So I'm I'm liking seeing Bo take some strides and being a bit more confrontational toward Trick about his machinations behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of wonder if it's maybe sort of been building to this, you know. I, I kind of get how at first maybe oh, she's just so grateful to have family that you can right. kind of overlook an awful lot of stuff. But, I mean, it's it's been coming for a while, this, this confrontation, I think. Right, I agree. And I think it's interesting that Trick's sort of response to her in this episode was that he's terrified of the Wanderer, which perhaps says that he's been terrified for quite some time now because he seemed to get a sense of who Bo might be talking about when she sort of went all dark bow in 309 in the ceremony. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he pulls out the drawing of the horse and, and things like that. So I'm curious to see, because Trick is a planner. He's a sneaky little bastard. I, I'm curious to see if he has any sort of plan in regards to dealing with the Wanderer, because he seems kind of clueless. It's always so hard to tell with Trick, though. Mm -hmm. Again, because of all the sneaky uh, behind-the-scenes dealing i guess that he does yes he likes to play pretty much everybody for his own purposes and he plays everything close to the vest 
because he loves his vests. (laughs) (laughs) There's a quote that I had to write down because I kind of caught it the first time, but then it became a big thing. Bo says something about how she's running out of excuses to not get back on that train. And it kind of blew my mind because I kind of missed it the first time because it's in the middle of this self-involved rant that she's making to Krampus, who she doesn't know is Krampus. And she says, I'm running out of excuses to not get back on that train. I don't remember any previous mention of getting back on the train. Was there? Did I did I miss it? Or do we think this is Bo speaking metaphorically? Because I would have taken it metaphorically if not for the reappearance of the black smoke at the end of the episode. Okay, so no, I don't think we'd heard any references to her getting back on the train. But I think once she realized she was on a train, she kind of realized that she to confront whatever had happened to her, she would have to go back there at some point. And so probably that's yes, her being that like, I'm, yeah, I'm running out of reasons not to just find the stupid train already. So yeah. that's probably where that was. That's where that's coming from. But that's a good point about the black smoke. That perhaps, you know, past Bo has sent herself a method to get on the train since Dyson and Cleo wasted the ticket. Jeez. (laughs) Went on the train, (laughs) went off. What? But that's a good point. I actually, when I, this was a dumb assumption, but when I saw the smoke in the jar, I was like, did she capture the wanderer? Because he turned into smoke. Well, I had that for a second also, but. I just thought that was like part of the magical black smoke. And then I thought, oh, this has something to do with her. Yeah, getting to the Wanderer or some, maybe a transport device or something like that. That does make more maybe sense. Maybe Bo's just a Lost fan. I don't know what that means. Lost fans do. Okay. They got it. Okay. But I think um, it's interesting that you guys brought up the Bo kind of having this ranty, you know, self-indulgent, whiny bit where she's talking to Krampus because she keeps saying, oh, uh, Kenzie hasn't even come to check on me and my abandonment issues and this and that. And I think there's that, again, there's that fear underneath all of that of what's happening. People are leaving me alone. I don't want to face the wanderer alone. That's really what's under all of that. That kind of ties in with all those issues of that she'll fail her friends and that she'll be defeated by the wanderer. Is your father? All of that. Yada, yada. But I was just, as as Bo was ranting, like, I found her charming while she was doing it because I think maybe just Anna Silk is, is charming. She can do that. She yeah, can she, can, that she can get away with that. I'm like, oh, Bo, you're being really self-centered and annoying, but I'm finding you charming to watch while you do it. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's kind of weirdly cute, isn't it? It is kind of weirdly cute. It's like you're being a brat, but I still like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to listen to this on a regular basis, but aw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so at the end of the episode, we have Tamsin. Well, Bo asked Tamsin, "Is could the Wanderer really be my father?" And Tamsin says he's been looking for his mate for centuries. That he would go and create her himself, implying that, she, like, out of the smoke no, on the train. No, implying that he impregnated Bo's mother with the sole purpose of his daughter being his ideal mate, which is disgusting. That is our official stance on that, is this man is clearly evil and disgusting. But yes, that was my my reaction, was basically like, 
in case you weren't sure that he was evil, yeah, he's pretty evil. He's pretty evil. Yeah, but because I didn't quite get that line, so thank you for grossing me out for the rest of the night. I'm going to go make brownies or something, because I need to get my mind off of that. So he was already a horrible, evil man for having sexually assaulted Bo's mother, and now he's even more disgusting and horribly evil for for doing that in order to create a bride for himself. So, so we think, yeah. We don't quite have all the answers, but we hope that isn't... It's strongly implied. It's strongly implied. Though apparently, I, apparently somebody who, who messaged me said that, sh- that she thought that line implied that... Or the Wanderer wasn't looking for Bo as his daughter, but rather as his mate and did not get the implication that she wasn't supposed to be both. But I really strongly got the implication. There was the line enough that he would create her or make her or whatever it was that Tamsin said. I mean, there there is a, that is what that means. Right. Well, and they've been talking for so much as the Wanderer being Bo's father. It's hard for them, us as an audience to think of him being anything but her father at this point. We don't know. But it's been said so many times, we are assuming that the Wanderer is Bo's father so far. Granted, there is no no confirmation one way or the other if that's what has happened, but the implication is it's there. It's strongly implied, though, yes, we have not have, have, have not had a definitive, this is Bo's father. I suppose, theoretically, it could mean that he set events in motion. Mm-hmm. Either way, the theory is just ew, ew, ew. It's creepy either way. Incest is creepier, but I, I kind of think that's what was being implied by Tamsin. Though, yes. Yes. you know, you could say that her all of her memories aren't back yet, and maybe she's not the most reliable source on the material. So, either way, but I thought that's what they were implying. In the meantime, I will go with, when I first met Bo, she didn't know, <laughs> she didn't know her hole from an ass in the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, I love it when you're so drunk, you reverse lines. So, yeah, yeah, we'll go with happy drunk Lauren. Since we're distracting ourselves with adorable Lauren moments, how about when when Kenzie is walking through to to high five both Lauren and Dyson? And I don't know if Lauren missed or if Kenzie moved her hand. Lauren yeah. missed. Lauren missed, which I thought yeah. was adorable. Yeah. Well, I know, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell if Kenzie moved her hand a little bit. No, such I don't that think so because Kenzie looked just as surprised that she hadn't high fived both of them too. So I think I think it was just Lauren who missed. <laughs> yeah. Which is like so. What was in, in that ice cream? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was more just Lauren being, a, a, you know, not being able to walk without getting food, you know, and eat at the same time. She's just adorably clumsy. Yes, the the clumsiness. She, right? she can do drunk neurosurgery and attach a hand on backwards and then frontwards for Vex, but you know, she can't high five. Well, Bo did apparently change clothes in that back seat, so maybe she was just a little distracted still. Well, and who do you think helped her change clothes in the back seat? Why do you think they were fighting to get in the back seat? I don't know. I guess I can buy that Bo would change clothes in the in the back seat, but it's so difficult. Why would you do that? I, as somebody who has changed clothes in the back seat of a car, it is not comfortable. I would not voluntarily do that if I was headed home. Well, when you have your pseudo, I don't know if she's on or off again, hot doctor girlfriend in the back with you. With two dudes in the front seat? No, thank you. It's not like one of the two dudes hadn't seen it all before, anyway. The other one's driving. Maybe that's why she handed the keys to Hale and not Dyson. Keep Hale distracted with driving, and if the other two see it, it's nothing new. So in addition to Bo sort of inexplicably to me choosing to change her wet clothes in the back of her car, I thought it was also strange 
when when we pick up with Bo again and she first enters the time loop to see that her friends just sort of left her sleeping out in the suckmobile. I think you and I had talked about this before that why would it be that everybody just sort of walks in and nobody questions the lack of Bo's presence because uh, Kenzie was already at the clubhouse and and Dyson and Lauren and Hale walk in Kenzie doesn't question that Bo is not with them, and nobody says anything about where she is. Yeah, what what happened there? <laughs> Why was she so distracted by Hale's presence? Was that was that what happened? I guess so. I guess so. I hope so. But it, yeah, it was like they needed another line or something about why they might have left Bo sleeping by herself in the back of the car. It was just bizarre that nobody seemed to remark upon the fact that Bo didn't come back with them and that they just sort of left her in the car. It was very strange to me. Yes, you think Dyson, with all his chivalry, would, like, carry her in at least. Right, right. <laughs> uh, falling down on the job, Wolfie. So for even though Bo, I thought, was being kind of bratty with her self-centered rant at the punch bowl to Krampus, she did have a point that it was kind of strange that her friends just sort of left her out in the car. I will give Bo that. Was it part of the machinations of Krampus, do we think? That's the only <laughs> thing I can really think of is that or I'll have to chalk it up to that and just say it had something to do with Krampus and move on with my life, I guess. Did they start early with the choga sweat? Is that what happened? <laughs> I, I loved what Bo was wearing this episode. Um, I thought Anna looked really good. That was just my two cents. And to see Bruce in a toga, of course. Probably the biggest toga ever. First a tablecloth, and now a toga. What, what's up with that costuming department? Uh, yeah, poor Rob. And then I loved, loved uh, so much of the soundtrack for this episode. So, Oh, episode four, no crystal. Where's our crystal? Leaves. There we go. <laughs> oh my god, that just like totally echoed in my ears. <laughs> so we would love to hear your thoughts about Groundhog Faye. What did you think of this episode? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Let us know. We, you can send us that feedback in a variety of ways. You can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, episode 34, over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 34. You can send us an email to feedback at drinkswiththedoll.com, or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Annie. Remember, kids, don't drink too much dark belch. And I'm Chris. And don't do choga sweat either, kids. Just say no. Thank you so much for joining us. Cheers. Cheers.